And hello and welcome everyone. It's the end of the month, which means me and Matt are doing something a little bit different. It's not the comic multiverse, it's Retro Hero Video, everyone. A video podcast that's really more of a book club for superhero animation. We're back again, Matt, continuing what I guess we could call the very special episode arc. Uh, in the last episode, we looked at parental kidnapping in Batman the Animated Series, and this week, we're looking at drugs. Looking at drugs and neglectful parents as well. Yeah, so yeah. A bit of a tie between the first two that here. It is. I'm, of course, talking about Batman the Animated Series Season 1, Episode 12, It's Never Too Late. And it's funny, you say it's episode 12, one where I was watching it on my streaming service, it was episode 6. Ah, okay, see, so now there's a big problem we get into with Batman the Animated Series, because there's production and then there's air. Mm-hmm. And I yep. notice this too, every time I look at them, everyone has it differently. People either have the airing order or production order. I go by production order because that's where the DVDs have it. I don't know where the streaming yep. services have it. Maybe that's where it has it. Yeah, because, yeah, this was episode six, and I think it was the same with, like, the, the first one, where it was, like, episode 56 or something. Yeah, they have weird they have weird rules for where uh, some of these stand, depending on when they were released. Because I think, like, uh, what is it, the Catwoman two-parter is actually the first episode they aired on television, because it mm-hmm. coincided with Batman Returns at the time. Yeah. So weird, weird history. I'm I'm going for production order because I wrote this whole thing around production order. <laughs> but yes, this episode uh, actually aired September 10th, 1992, which goddamn, was it really that freaking long ago? Wow. Yeah. Jesus. Of course, uh, as we talked about in the previous episode and something that I hope becomes a long running uh, gimmick and segment on this show, what what was the world like, Matt, back in September 1992? What uh, what influenced this episode when it aired? And, well, I don't have to ask because I actually have uh, some answers for you. Oh, do you? I do. Uh, can you guess what the biggest song in the world was in September 1992? Oh, Jesus. I have, I don't know. Uh, something from Madonna or something? Good guess. My mind would actually have jumped to, like, Nirvana, but I don't think they were, like, quite taken over yet. It was actually End of the Road by Boys to Men. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, they don't make them like that anymore. It's the no. end of the road. Ah, <laughs> oh, so, so soulful. What, Whatever happened to those Boys to Men? I, I guess they're just men to men now. <laughs> yeah, they became men. <laughs> Senior citizens to men to boys. <laughs> now, uh, can you guess what was the number one movie at that time? Uh, 92, I'm guessing uh, that'll be around the time Batman Returns came out. Uh, yes, it is, but it's not this time, actually, which blew me away. That's an excellent guess, but it's not. Okay, what was it? In September, the number one movie in the world was <clears throat> Last of the Mohicans. Oh, okay, Michael Mann, yeah. Yeah, very cool movie. Not really historically accurate, but boy, is it a fun adventure movie. Yeah, it is. It really is. We're, uh, we're obviously, you and me are loving Book of Boba Fett right now. It takes a lot of inspiration from mm-hmm. this, actually. Yes, yes, it does. Boba Fett's got a lot of Dances with Wolves and a lot of Last of the Mohicans in it, so, you know, can't say you don't learn anything about this. But obviously, if you're watching this show, what people really want to know, what was happening at comics at the time, you know? Comic what books. Yeah, what were the stories? And believe it or not, uh, 92 was a hip-happening time in comic books. <laughs> Boy, was it ever. Uh, in the world of Batman, the hot new story was actually Shadow of the Bat. The last... Alan Grant? 
by Alan Grant, specifically The Last Arkham, which was the debut of Victor's Az. Real? Oh, okay. Yes, this was the one. Uh, he wasn't as he is now, where he's like the creepy dude who puts notches in his skin. Mm-hmm. He was really more of like a Hannibal Lecter, Jack the Ripper guy when it started. Yeah, he was a bit more of like a like your run-of-the-mill serial killer. Yeah, he was a little bit more cerebral. Last Arkham in itself yeah. is kind of cerebral. But yes, this, this shit was brand new at the time the episode we talked about aired, so think about that. <laughs> uh, obviously, of course, you're a big Superman fan, so we gotta talk about Superman. This was the Roger Stern era. This was Superman versus Rampage from the pages of Action Comics uh, number 136. Yeah, very 90s era of Superman, because he's just getting, like, the, uh, just about to start to get, like, the mullet in coming in. And I, I looked at like... that. Uh, Death of Superman is in December, so he's a couple yeah. months from dying. Yeah, yeah, I think, I want to say this was around the time they started the Doomsday, uh, how they had it in the back pages of the, right. of some of the comics leading up, they had, like, the teaser. You're probably the Doomsday right. is coming teaser. This was probably maybe around that time or probably just before it. Probably pretty close to it. Like, yeah, I can look at the cover of this and I can tell they're really out of ideas. Ah, Superman fights Rampage. Why not? <laughs> you can see why in just a couple months they're going to be like, fuck it, let's kill him. It, it, it's, this is part of what is called, is known as the triangle era because of that little triangle on the side there. Yes. The date and the number. I'm looking right at it. Yes, I can yeah. tell. Holy shit. Uh, back when DC had the bullet logo, too. Yes, yes. Love that logo. Wish they would bring that one back, actually. Yeah. Uh, now, what was happening at Marvel? Uh, a lot, actually. In Spider-Man, they were just beginning the Red Skull chameleon life model decoy parents coming back story. <laughs> Everything was fucking happening in Spider-Man at that time. Everything was happening at Spider-Man at this time. I cannot believe that this was actually on comic shelves at the same time as this episode. I I never liked the parents. I never like when they bring them back. They, they don't know what to do with them. No, they never do. It's like, eh, they're spies. Eh, they're dead. Eh, they're alive. Eh, they're life model decoys. I do like the Harry Osborn story we get later on, but that won't happen till later. No, no, yeah. And finally, we have Avengers. Well, not finally. Penultimately, we have Avengers. Oh, what a bad era this was. Black Knight was one of the most prominent members on the team. Yeah, I'm looking at the team now, looking at the cover now. We got them, we got white vision yep and cersei yeah and cersei you wouldn't recognize that to be cersei and then i believe uh hercules hercules and i'm not sure who the other person is yeah i don't know who they are either but yeah this this was a bad the 90s were a bad time for the avengers when was um when that when did that big relaunch thing they did with the avengers happen the heroes reborn the original heroes reborn or whatever Uh, it was called when they give them to the image guys i think that would still be a couple more years to come but this this is the beginning of their downfall (laughs) because because this was the 90s and no one was fucking reading avengers they were also rants everyone was reading x-men yeah x-men spider-man deadpool yeah venom They were the hot things right now. The Avengers were not hot. It's hilarious to think now they control, like, every bit of pop culture, but not in the 90s. Yeah, Yeah, and it it was not that far away either. No, but it is kind of amazing to think Cersei and Black Knight are big and in movies now, and White Vision was on TV, so so much that was new here has come to pass. Yeah, just looking at that uh, costume of that woman in the... uh... 
the yellow. I'm. I think that's meant to be Hellcat. Oh, holy shit! Patsy I, Walker. Oh shit! When she's not a cat, I can't tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She doesn't have the mask. No, no. Now, hilariously, the last comic I got here is a little bit, a little, little, little bit of an out there one. I got this because I was looking into you know everything that was on the shelf in September '99. And I got to Indie Comics, and I saw a little book called Blood is the Harvest. Now, (laughs) do you know why Blood is the Harvest is important, Matt? I don't. So, if you're a big fan of podcasts, which if you're listening to this, I assume you are, you've probably heard of a little show called My Brother, My Brother, and Me. Oh, shit. I know where this is going. Yes, but, you know, Griffin, Travis, and Justin McElroy, the McElroy brothers, famous dudes, they have a D&D show. Their father's a guy named Clint McElroy. Clint McElroy did a lot of ghostwriting for comics back in the day, but one of his big original series was Blood is the Harvest. (laughs) This was brand new at this era. Obviously, Clint is famous for a lot of things. Never really became a famous comic writer. Have they ever talked about this on their show? They have, actually. There's a great bit. It's It's a live show where a comic book writer from the area is like, hey, I wrote a book. And your dad actually gave me a bad review. Uh, what's your advice, brothers? Because their show is they give people advice. And they're like, yeah. Uh, yeah, we don't actually know how to take criticism from our father. Uh, tell you what, how about you make fun of one of his books? Uh, Blood is the Harvest. That one's got to suck, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, that's a real bit from the show. And I just love to <clears throat> death that that's a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks very 90s. It looks oh, so 90s. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This is this is of the time it was made, no doubt about it. But what <laughs> what, what, what a wonderful little artifact and a bit yeah, of podcasting that, history. That's cool, yeah. I like that connection. Yeah, so with that out of the way, everyone, now that we have fully set the scene of what the time period is like, we can finally hop into the episode proper. All right, so Act 1, title card. Love the title cards. Big fan of the title cards. Big old Art Deco train barreling towards us. Oh, yeah. I I hope you like trains, everyone. And judging by internet analytics, people do love trains because this episode (laughs) is lousy with trains. Yes, it has a a lot of trains in it. A lot of the same train, but a lot of trains. Big, big old train motif. So, yeah, as we join the episode... (laughs) Black and white newscast tells us that there's a mob war in Gotham City. And, I mean, it must be a Tuesday, because when isn't there a mob war in Gotham? I do find it funny that this is on the news in Gotham when this is probably happening, like, constantly. Mm. It's like... It's like, it's always happening. People don't need to know about it. It's because it's always happening around them. Well, you see, you know, we got to get the weeknight gang wars done so we can move on to the weekend gang <laughs> the wars. The weekend. The holiday yeah, the, the, gang the, the, wars. The full-time ones work during the week and the part-time <laughs> ones come on in the end, at uh, the weekend. It's a great system in Gotham City. You know, they got so many gangs, <laughs> they can take vacations, birthdays, Christmases, and just yeah. keep fighting it out. Uh, I-, I love the touch, too, that all the televisions in Gotham City are always black and white. That was something from, like, the production Bible, that this this universe is 1950s and always will be, except for when it isn't later on. Yeah, they're, they're, they're black and white, they're big boxy, mm-hmm. uh, big, big boxy ones with the, uh, the, the big light in the back of them and everything. Now, in some episodes, they will actually screw up, and TVs won't be black and white even when they're supposed yeah. to be. I've On commentary, that still bugs the crap out of Deanie and Tim and everyone. Like, damn it, we were so close. Yeah, yeah. Now, who are the mobsters who are fighting each other, you're asking? Well, it's newcomer uh, Thorn, of course, one of the most recurring bad guys 
uh, for all of Batman the Animated Series. One of the only non-superpowered recurring bad guys without a costume and a gimmick. And his opponent, Arnold Stromwell, who is apparently the old guard of Gotham crime. And they're, they're locking horns, as mafiosos love to do. Yeah, yeah. Rupert Thorne, as people know, has ties actually to Matches Malone and uh-huh. was his boss. And we all know who Matches Malone turns out to be. Turns out to be. In fact, we kind of get some fun, you know, Batman Master of Disguise stuff later. Now, because we're on this scene, Matt, I wanted to ask a very important question that has always kind of messed with my own head canon. Obviously, you know, when we think mafiosos, when we think, you know, gang wars, we think like Italian mobsters. What what ethnicity is Rupert Thorne? Uh, I can't actually remember. They never tell us. No. They never once tell us. In this episode, he will be at an Italian restaurant called Pete's. And all I can ever think, and maybe I'm crazy. Please tell me in the comments if you think this is crazy. I always thought Rupert Thorne was supposed to be Irish. Because Thorne obviously isn't Italian. Yeah. Maybe it's one of those things like they changed his name at Ellis Island. Like it was O'Thorne or something. And he has like a green suit vest. No one has ever said this one way or another. No, yeah, I guess it's uh, left ambiguous. I guess it's just up to, like, whoever's using him at the time. True. Stromwell, again, equally not Italian, but obviously New York and all these other cities. It wasn't always Italian organized crime. It was Jewish organized crime and everything else before that. So I I don't know if they were making, like, an actual attempt in the show to be like, oh, we're not just going to have stereotypical Italian mobsters, or if it was just, you know, it didn't matter what the mobster was called. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, Stromwell is especially ticked off because not only is Rupert Thorne giving him all this trouble via this gang war, but apparently his son, Joey Jojo Shabadoo Jr., <laughs> is missing and has been missing for a while. And uh, even the police, even Gordon, doesn't know what's up. Yeah, and the, the guy thinks that uh, Thorne and his people are behind and like taking him as like an act of revenge mm-hmm. or like in this gang war. He's like a prisoner of war sort of thing absolutely yeah it's uh one of those classic sins of the father fall on the son sort of thing and already they're showing that stromwell maybe isn't your typical gangster sure he breaks his remote sure you know he roughs up his own henchmen in classic bad guy fashion but he also looks wistfully at a family portrait there you know maybe maybe this guy isn't all bad what i found really funny about that family portrait was that it it kind of looks like like thomas martha and uh, kind of Bruce, does. a little kind bit of does yeah yeah i never thought of that you're absolutely right it's like they can only draw one portrait in gotham <laughs> they would just really use it no one will notice no one will notice they they went to the same guy to get the portrait done he does the rich people's portraits in gotham yeah, yeah. and he just he just copies and pastes them and like fleeces them out of their money because they don't look at it the original copy paste man <laughs> Now, the guy voicing Stromwell in this episode is an actor by the name of Eugene Roche, I believe is how you pronounce it. Very, very veteran TV actor. He did, like, you know, Dennis the Menace and Star Trek and Night Court and everything. Okay. I'm assuming he's not with us anymore because he was already an old actor at the time of doing this. Batman the Animated Series was famous for this, getting, like, you know, really, you know, like, maybe not well-known, but, like, really strong character actors, even, like, people from radio to do uh, voices in Batman the Animated Series, which which was unheard of at the time to try and get, like, you know, actor actors. Usually you got, like, voice actors, and you would only have to hire a handful because they'd all pull Mm -hmm. double, triple duty. 
Yeah, they'd all voice like background guy and, and yeah, guard yeah. one and all that sort of stuff. I mean, hell, Kevin Conroy himself does that, actually pulls double and triple duty in this show. Yeah, Kevin Conroy in this doesn't sound like Kevin Conroy either. No, this is this episode, again, season one, episode 12 or six, depending on the order. There's a lot of early installment weirdness in this one. Yeah, like he hasn't he hasn't quite found the Batman voice no, yet. No, no, they are. So it's kind of light. It's kind of light, and and it like is. just like Kevin Conroy's voice. They're very much still figuring it out. So we meet up with Thorne and his people at Pete's Italian Restaurant, which again, when I think of Italian restaurants named Pete, all I can think of is Goodfellas and the wedding scene where she's being introduced <laughs> to all of Paulie's children, and they were all named Peter or Paul, and they all were married to women <laughs> named Maria. <laughs> So yeah, we see Thorn holding court with his people there, while a wino uh, ends up getting thrown out. A very familiar-looking wino, no less. Yeah, yeah, he puts something in under the table. Yeah, ooh, what's up with that? Of course it's Batman in disguise. Man, Batman doesn't do the Master of Disguise stuff as much in the comics anymore, does he? That's why when I started watching this episode, I'm like, oh, Rupert Thorne's in this. This means this is those, like, ties to, like, Matches Malone and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. Is Batman going to appear as Matches Malone? And is this, like, a... It's like a proto match version, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, he he doesn't really do that anymore. Like he's done it a couple of times recently in the comics, but like I really wish he would do it a little bit more. Yeah, Bruce doesn't go undercover near as much. It's like he he's a you know expert martial artist, chemist, superhero. He's also a master of disguise, and I feel he doesn't do the master of disguise stuff as much. Yeah, I do like how like shitty his hair and beard is. Very. This? I think like, it's just it's just like a very like clipped on looking thing i think the last time he went undercover was when he went undercover with the unsanity collective but they saw through the disguise instantly so it wasn't really going undercover yeah there was that and he was like briefly killer croc at the start of joshua williamson's run for like one panel that's right so yeah so rupert thorne's chatting up with his people they've called stromwell for a sit down to discuss a piece but oh 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 that doity rupert thorne he's gonna try and you know use this as an opportunity to kill his opponent and oh oh boy do i get a big old whack a godfather in this scene right we gotta <laughs> kill the guy at the restaurant yeah oh yeah absolutely Uh, There's a lot of Godfather in this episode, which, oh boy, when I was a little kid watching this episode, I did not get any of that. No, no, not at all. In fact, I I will fully admit, and I'm sure a lot of people agree with me, because this episode ends up on a lot of, like, worst Batman the Animated Series episodes ever. This is a pure, straight-up gangster piece that they, like, served on Saturday morning. They, they, yeah, they they just put like Batman in that sometimes. Yeah, in a in a mob story. So yeah, there's the Godfather references, but also apparently, as I discovered in my research, this episode takes even more reference from a Warner Brothers James Cagney gangster movie from the 30s called The Angels with the Dirty Faces. Okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, I can see that. I, I was gonna say because there's some scenes later on where it's like um. Like, later on when Batman, I think, is taken, is going to, like, the Sunrise Foundation thing. Yep. It, 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 it somehow, like, adapts this very, like, sort of hazed yep. sort of look to it. Sipia and that's, tone, like, very, yeah. that's, like, very uh, indicative of films of that era. Absolutely. Also, the story of Angels with the Dirty Faces, uh, about two gangster brothers running around a train yard. So, how yeah. about that? And that's basically what half of this is. It's basically what half this episode is. Now, if you're thinking, hey, Angels with the Dirty Faces, that sounds familiar. You may actually know the parody version of that movie, Mm -hmm. uh, Angels with the Dirty Souls, 
which is the movie that Kevin McAllister, Macaulay Culkin is watching in Home Alone. Yeah, the one they spoofed and, and, yeah. and made specifically for that film. Made specifically for that film, so it's it, it all connects. I bet you didn't think I'd connect Batman, The Godfather, and Macaulay <laughs> Culkin in one episode, but we did it. <clears throat> so yeah, it's time for the meet. Everyone puts on their fedoras and their trench coats, and they get ready uh, to head on down there. But oh, Stromwell has himself a bit of a PTSD flashback when they go to the train yard and when he sees, you know, like the crossing lights and everything. Yeah, he's there with uh, one of his friends. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, they, they've just, I think they just stole something. Well, what, like he just stole something from someone and his friends kind yeah. of riding him about it and they planned on the train tracks and the trains come and his friend's foot gets caught in the track when it changes. Yep. Yep, it certainly does. And not just any train, a fucking horrifying demon train. <laughs> horrifying 1930s Art Deco train. Is this not the scariest train ever? Like, again, it's hard to believe that this show was animated 20 years ago, but the care and effort they put into the train in this blows my goddamn mind with the smoke billowing and it coming down the way it does. I am shocked at how amazing it looked. Yeah, this huge bright light out the front mm-hmm. of it, the giant uh, guard on the front that's meant to move like trees and shit out of the way of it yeah. and everything and obviously the idea is, is that the train doesn't really look like this it's being remembered through the eyes of a child but i just thought that was yeah. such a striking visual thing like this this train is represented of stromwell's whole trauma and uh yeah his foot gets caught in the thing the other kid uh you know looks like he might be trying to help him like oh, get off the track get off the track he does only for another train that's less <laughs> evil to come the other way and apparently that is what kills a lot of people on railroad tracks it's not the train you get out of the way of it's the other train that's coming that gets you when you stumble onto the next track yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, that story is left ambiguous and unfinished as we look we look up to a church there and we see batman keeping a grim vigil and i love we see the gargoyles casting shadows and then we see batman himself casting a shadow where if yeah. you were looking by you wouldn't even know he was there no not at all yeah it's funny too you know batman showing up fairly late into the episode actually <laughs> yeah well it's like a lot of these early episodes were literally like oh it's a gangster movie yeah but with batman in it but it's, uh, it's a kind of a scythe, like the uh, the Invisible Man thing. Yep. It's like an Invisible Man heist sort of thing yep. with Batman in it. And Batman is there, too, which I think really speaks to the power of Batman as a character. You can use a lot or a little of them, actually, and it goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, Batman wasn't just at the church for a cool image. He's actually coming to talk to the priest there, a guy named Father Michael, who apparently knows Arnold Stromwell quite well. And Batman says he's going to need your help tonight. Yeah. Is, is is there like some type of law in like uh the catholic church where like the priest must be named michael yeah always right after a saint <laughs> yeah they, they never fails that like a tv show or a movie the if they have like a father character he's always father michael yep always i like to this guy's big line to batman is like ah yes arnold stromwell someone i wish i could give up on but i can't <laughs> so you know there's some real history there between these two keep that in mind as we go forward uh stromwell and his people make it to pete's to have their big sit down with rupert thorne and he he's he, got he's just such a fucking shit eater isn't he rupert thorne <laughs> there oh yes come down oh yes everything is gonna be fine i wouldn't kill you no one could possibly kill you not here <laughs> 
they uh, they cut a fun like thing to a fun silhouette because obviously Rupert Thorne's portly and Stromwell's actually taller than him and kind of lankier. I kind of thought that was interesting. Thorne wears green and he has a very very distinct pink shirt. The other guy. Yeah, yeah, they're all dressed like a uh, kind of like proto Dick Tracy. Characters. Very, very much so. Yes. Wow, you fucking nailed it. Yeah. Uh, Stromwell actually gets quite rough with Rupert Thorne there. You know, he goes full Liam Neeson. Where's my son? Give me my son. (laughs) And for once, Rupert Thorne's like, oh, I I actually didn't do that. Of all the evil things I've done, that wasn't one of them. Damn, why didn't I think of that? Yeah, shit. I would have loved to kidnap your son. Now, hey, sit down and we'll have a piece of of pasta, antipastas, sit down with the food. (laughs) And then, oh, no, wait, uh, shut off the lights. And I love the, the... like feeling of resignation that he has like damn should have known this was coming yeah 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 he also doesn't just shoot him too he blows up the entire restaurant to try and kill him (laughs) yeah the entire restaurant just like combusts all right you know what this isn't like godfather actually you assume like oh did rupert thorne you know hide a 38 special in the uh, bathroom Mm. no whole thing made of dynamite (laughs) he specifically constructed this building made out of nitroglycerin (laughs) the satisfact too pete the owner was there and you know he was probably super bummed about it (laughs) Goddamn Artie Buco, Tony Soprano over here. Why y'all always got to fuck just, up my restaurant? just paid it off, you know. Yep, <laughs> just paid off the last thing in pennies. <laughs> you want to talk to about how the animation in this really pulls no punches. We get the big explosion. We see the guys on the outside, all their coats get blown, and one guy's hat actually goes up in the air, and it's a blink and you'll miss it. And it's like, wow, they really cut no corners, even in an episode like this. Yeah, yeah, the, the attention to detail in these shows is fantastic. Stunning, really stunning. So yeah, Rupert Thorne's like, ha ha ha, I done did the evil thing. Yep, he's dead now. I'm number one bad guy. But wait, <laughs> Batman was there, and Batman was actually able to save him at the last second. Yeah, he, he saved, saved him. I like, as well, back when um that explosion happens, there's like, the part where it like pans over to like the the bad guys and like you just see Batman leave the frame mm-hmm. uh, above them as he enters the building. I thought that was a nice little detail as well. It is nice, and uh, you're probably thinking to yourself, you know, like, well, why would Batman go to such lengths to save a guy like this in the middle of a gang war? Shouldn't he be beating them up? Well, that's kind of the whole you know point of the episode, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Batman, Batman has plans for this guy that go beyond just getting an ass kicking. Uh, mm-hmm. we also, we also get a fun bit too. This is kind of like the wino bit in the previous episode where there's like some burnout who's like there at the restaurant when it explodes and he's talking to Gordon and book. I seen it. I done seen the Batman. He was there. <laughs> he pulled the guy from the fire like the pits of Hades. <laughs> Can I have some money to go get loaded? <laughs> That's totally the guy. Even go to the methadone clinic. Very. Even Bullock has a great bit, too, when he's looking at uh, at Gordon. He's like, yeah, your hair looked better on TV. Yeah. <laughs> he does have a crazy S-curl in this show, doesn't he? It looks like a, like a soft-serve ice cream. <laughs> he really does. I, I think they tune that down when we get to, like, the new adventures of Batman, but it's really pronounced in this episode. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really pronounced where even other characters are making note of it. Uh, so yeah, one of Rupert Thorne's guys is able to get back to him and say, hey, you know, word on the street is the Batman saved him. I guess the gang war is still on. <laughs> Damn it. I wanted to watch my shows tonight, but I guess I can't. <laughs> Gotta go back to work. 
Rupert Thorne's not married, though, and doesn't have his own kid, so I guess he gets less shit about it. Yeah. Even his assistant isn't in this episode, either. This is one of the early installments. He'll get a lady assistant later who's kind of like his Harley and his Mercy Graves. Yeah. So, yeah, so Batman saves Stromwell, and he takes him across the city there, and uh, he starts reading him the riot act because he takes him back to apparently the place this, you know, aging gangster got his start, the street corner where he was first slinging rocks, or I guess whatever you were slinging in the 1950s, probably not rocks. Nitrous or something. Or whatever they were doing, you know. Something exciting, jet fuel from <laughs> World War II or something. Yeah, really. Uh, d- dime bags of heroin, because, you know, heroin comes back and forth, you know. It's it's big. <laughs> blue magic. He was selling the blue magic. Yeah, and opium or something. Yeah. <laughs> And this is really, you know, kind of the focal point of the episode, and also I'm pretty sure the first time we ever actually hear Batman in Batman the Animated Series talk about, like, real-life street drugs. Like, obviously we'll get, like, Venom and Fear Toxin and fake stuff later on, but this is like Batman straight up saying to this guy, this is where you got your start selling drugs, and now you manufacture them, and I know. Yeah. Yeah, well, what I also found strange about this is this episode's like, this is like the crux of the episode about like drugs and stuff Mm. and what this guy's doing. And it, and it happens nine minutes before the episode ends. Yeah, I know, right? Till we get to like the real meat and potatoes of it all. Uh, Stromwell has a great dickhead line too, where it's like, hey man, I sell candy. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) I sell candy, which is funny because he was stealing candy earlier on. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Which I think, was, was was that a joke, or does he, like, legitimately own Stromwell's old-timey candy company? That's the, the, that's the thing, it's like, Batman's been completely wrong about this, and <laughs> and he, he he's like a hard, he's like a, he, he's a hard candy salesman. He deals in taffy, and saltwater taffy, and <laughs> yeah, all that. Really. Yes, I sell rocks, rock candies. <laughs> I sell them by the bags for a dime. Batman mistakes like the taffy pouring to be like the blue meth. And... Yeah, really. <laughs> but yeah, so apparently on this very same street, we have the Sunrise Foundation, which is a drug rehabilitation center. And once once Stromwell realizes that this is the case and that Batman's going to be doing some moralizing, he's like, ah, oh, man, I don't want to see any of this shit. If they're, if they're weak enough to take my drugs, it's really their own fault. Which I'm like, man, you know, that's probably some real-world justification that I'm sure, you know, crime kingpins and drug mm-hmm. dealers do all the time. Absolutely, and of course Batman doesn't have any of that shit and, like, puts his fist through a wall. Yeah, that I thought was great, where he wants to leave, but Batman's like, nope, I have taken you here, you're gonna see this. This, this is what I like to call the Ghost of Christmas Past session of the episode. <laughs> Yeah, because literally this episode is just kind of Batman taking this senior citizen on a walking tour of his own life. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. So why? What was so important about the Sunrise Foundation? You know, why? Why is Batman? You know, taking a hard stance on drugs and this guy especially. Well, as we discover, uh, Stromwell's ex-wife is here at the Sunrise Foundation because their son. Joey Jojo Shabadoo Jr. got hooked on the very same drugs that his father was selling and is now here in rehab. He wasn't kidnapped. His Uh, father just kind of fucked him up uh, by extension. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, woof, that's uh, that's interesting, isn't it? And again, pretty heavy for Saturday morning, huh? (laughs) Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Hey man, this is this is what you've done. And again, they don't say what drugs he's on, he's just on generic drugs. (laughs) Yeah. They don't put a real name to it, but that's fine. No, well, I guess they, I mean, they couldn't. Yeah, they couldn't. And again, they never sold this as like a very special episode of Batman the Animated Series. 
Because they were all kind of special episodes, as we mentioned last week when we talked about the parental kidnapping. But I just thought that, you know, this episode I think often gets forgotten and misconstrued, but always stuck out in my mind because of these reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... Act 2, Batman has shown this guy the error of his ways that, you know, if he continues down this path of corruption and criminality, there's no telling what it could do to his son and his family, so he forces Stromwell to basically put an end to the gang war by surrendering and turning over all of his files and books to Batman so he can, you know, take down all the syndicates. Yeah, so then Batman ha- can now take all of his money. Yeah, so Batman can take it. <laughs> hey, hey, Wayne Foundation gives a lot of money away. You gotta, you gotta do something to, <laughs> to keep buying fancy new belts and smoke bombs and everything else. <laughs> I just thought this is so interesting because we rarely ever see Batman mm-hmm. like this in the comics. Where it's like, uh. yeah, I could beat you up. I could take you all down by force. But I'm, you know, superheroing smarter, not harder. I thought you could have a change of heart, and that's why I'm dedicating my whole night to try and make you see the error of your ways. And I think there's something really interesting about that, a Batman who wants to believe in the better angels of other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a nice change of pace. Very much so. I feel we don't get sympathetic Batman like this as much in the comics. I feel they leave that for Nightwing or Superman or other people. They, they do, yeah. Again, I think the closest we got to, like, sympathetic Batman like this is, believe it or not, I think Three Jokers, where he lets everyone in the Bat family think he's a jerk because he's really just trying to protect, uh, what is it, Joker's family, his secret family. Yep. Uh, now, Stromwell gives him fake books, and Batman is so busy reading the fake books, he doesn't realize that he has a wall of guns! <laughs> a wall of giant, like, hunting rifles. Hunting guns. <laughs> World's greatest detective, everybody. <laughs> this this leads to actually a very cool and very artistic scene where Batman and Stromwell circle the same table like a Wild West freaking, you know, <laughs> high noon showdown. While there's only one lamp in the room casting the shadows, I thought that was a very nice touch. Yeah, yeah, and it, it kind of makes sense as well because, like, the guy's got a rifle and he's got to, like, bring mm. that to bear then Batman could move. Yeah. So he's being very extra careful about it all. Very tense. This is also still at the time in superhero cartoons where they were allowed to use realistic firearms. Yeah, it's very looks very realistic. Very realistic. We'll see some Tommy guns later. Uh, again, I think this was still at the era when this show was on Fox before it went to WB officially, but I think at the time uh, Fox was still okay with this. It was only later on where they mandated that all the guns had to be like lasers and shit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, Stromwell's reasoning is basically like, ah, I can't go to jail right now. I've got too many people to shoot. <laughs> also, I think rehab is stupid. I'm going to take my kid home where I can make sure he's not doing the drugs. <laughs> I'm smart. That's me. I'll get him off those drugs. I'll cold turkey him. <laughs> yeah, basically is what he's going to do. And Batman's like, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. <laughs> and Stromwell's like, but I got a gun, though. So check and mate. <laughs> Also, uh, something that also is truly hilarious about this episode, Stromwell's office where he keeps his files is at the train yard. Yeah, yeah. Even though, as we have seen all throughout this episode, this guy has terrible PTSD all based around trains. Well, you see, you see his desk doesn't, like, like where his desk is, he can't see the trains. Ah, there you go. So, so he can see the tracks, but he can't see the trains. Out of, out of sight, out of mind. I was going to say, that would be like if Batman set up his Batcave at Crime Alley. <laughs> 
which Batman who laughs actually did the evil Batman yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Rupert Thorne and his goon squad show up to try and finish things, and they throw a bunch of smoke bombs through the window. Luckily, Batman has a rebreather and saves this guy for the second time. <laughs> yeah. Despite him trying to shoot him, boy, ain't Batman a good dude. <laughs> we uh, we get a very fun, very moody little scene where uh, all the mafia thugs come on through with their Tommy guns, and Batman does a great trick with shadows where he gets behind a really big fat guy and makes it look <laughs> like he's standing. Yeah, he like uses the guy like like Weekend at Bernie's very. and like, puppets him towards the guy and like throws him on them. <laughs> hey, Stash, is that you, Stash? You sure seem to be standing at a very odd angle, but it is dark, so I don't know no better. <laughs> Ah, dang it, it was the Batman. So, Batman deals with the thugs. Stromwell starts running through the train yard. Uh, Batman defending him every step of the way. Man, Batman's really going above and beyond for this dude, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's giving his life for this one piece of shit. He really, he believes in him, Batman. He believes in him (laughs) so hard this episode. And he almost gets shot numerous times by these dudes. There's a great bit where they're ducking in and out of the train cars and everything, and Batman's jumping down on top of them, and he's jumping out of the shadows and everything. Yeah, and they're fucking shooting their machine guns off everywhere. It's great. It's, it's nice great to stuff. It's nice to see the Gotham mobsters go to Stormtrooper school when it comes to shooting. <laughs> None of them can hit shit. And they expel, like, hundreds and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. <laughs> Uh, eventually it all comes to a major head when Stromwell actually comes face to face with Father Michael, the priest from before, who, like, just enough of the episode had gone by, we were like, hey, didn't Batman talk to a priest earlier? What the hell was that about? I like to think it's not even connected, and the guy, he, like, like, the the father just, like, wandered into the train yard, just, like, he's like, I'm sick of, like, being scared of trains, I'm gonna go, like, beat up a train or something. It's my fear, suplex the fucking train! (laughs) That'll learn me. So yeah, the father outreaches his hand to Arnold, and he starts having yet another PTSD flashback as yet another train is bearing down on him. And again, boy, credit where credit is due to the animation, they really do sell the feeling that this dude is having a goddamn breakdown over this train. They really do, yeah. That this is like the worst thing that's ever happened in his life, and uh, we flash back again to the sepia tone years. You know, back in those days, things just looked sepia. And, yeah, everything uh, was old. <laughs> yeah, everything was old. And we discover that this kid that young Arnold was with, Michael, wasn't just his friend. It was actually his brother, Michael. Yeah. It was his brother. And that day he got his leg stuck in the train. The only reason he wasn't killed was because Michael jumped to get him out of the way, in doing so costing him the use of his leg. And Michael grew up to be Father Michael, the priest we've been dealing with all episode. Yeah, and he's got a wooden leg. He's got a wooden leg. He's got a wooden leg, and he's got some great jokes, too, where it's like, yeah. you know, you know, what, what, why did you save me, Michael? You know I'm no good. And he's like, well, because your marriage is falling apart, and your empire is crumbling, and your son is in rehab. I get around just fine. Knock, knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> Which, wow, to talk about some, like, Catholic forgiveness on that one. I forgive you for losing my leg. I forgive you for treating me like shit <laughs> and for being a gangster. I, I know you can still help me. And it's great too because they're having this like great you know brotherly moment of coming together and two gangsters are about to shoot him but batman grabs them and jams their heads together yeah the old smash the heads together and it immediately knocks everyone out yeah i I love batman being like no you can't do this they're having a moment (laughs) (laughs) i built up to this all night i built this elaborate thing for this guy to see the arrow of his ways great length (laughs) i'm sure this happens he really did 
So yeah, Michael actually convinces Stromwell to turn himself in to the police to end the gang war and to give Batman the information he wanted. And yeah, that's basically what it is. Batman takes down Thorn, though he doesn't stay in jail forever, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, as the big final moment there, you know, they all kind of walk off into the sunset. Batman looks off into the distance and we see the church again. I thought that's very interesting that the church is the last thing we see. Yeah, the the place of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, because you, yeah, this is a whole episode about forgiveness and how it's never too late. It's it's almost kind of like a fable in a way, you know. It's almost like a psalm, right? A little bit, yeah. Which you know, like Batman and religion never seem to go that much together. But surprisingly, this episode, uh, if I'm unmistaken, was directed by Boyd Kirkland, you know, a very famous animation director. He's done Marvel stuff, DC stuff, other cartoons. I think he was actually a pretty prominent member of the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saint, actually. Okay. But, you know, you're probably thinking, like, ah, geez, was he a religious nut? No, actually. Apparently, he spent many years fighting with his church, actually, because he believed in more humanist ideas. You see it here, and you see it in that X-Men Evolution episode on Angel's Wing. So I thought it was kind of interesting that two episodes of shows I really liked, directed by this same dude, had religious-y themes in it. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, now, Stromo, we would never actually see again in the show. Uh, he, he, well, he wouldn't come back except for in the Robin's Reckoning two-parter, which, of course, is many years in the past because we see young Dick Grayson. I think it's cool that they bring him back to showcase, oh, yeah, this is, uh, this is earlier in the Gotham timeline. Yeah, and, and, and I guess it, they kind of had to not bring him back because then they'd be like, oh, well, he just went back to crime and Batman yeah, had to beat him up nothing. Again. Yeah, I, I think there's something very nice about how he's only in a couple episodes and that Batman actually worked in redeeming this guy and essentially saving his soul. Yeah, he actually just went over to, like, Central City to deal yeah, with, like, drugs really. over there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do kind of like the idea, though, of Batman having, like, a friend and ally who's, like, a former gangster that he, like, goes to for help sometimes. That would, that would be very interesting. Because I feel that's a side of Batman we don't see very often, but we see very well in this episode, and that is that even if you just start off as a criminal, it doesn't mean that defines you forever. You can actually redeem yourself and do better. Yeah. And that's what this episode was. So that's, uh, that's It's Never Too Late, an episode that is very frequently on top ten lists of worst episodes, and I don't think it deserves it. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I get it. Like, as a kid, I didn't get it at all. Like, I thought, like, oh, it doesn't have a super villain in it. This is boring. This is bullshit. But now that I'm actually an adult and see the things that it references, I'm like, oh, this actually had a lot going on for it. How did they get this on TV Saturday morning? Yeah, I could see how a kid would be bored with this. But, yeah, as you said, someone with a bit more, like, pop culture knowledge yeah. and knowledge of, like, film and, like, mm-hmm. stuff that it's referencing – you can appreciate it a lot more. And I think it's an episode they could really only have done in season one when they were still trying to figure out what the show was and what it was going to be. Yeah, oh, you couldn't have done this in uh, New Adventures no. of Batman because it'd, it'd be completely changed. There'd be all sorts of shit in it. Like some, there'd be a su- I, they, they would be a supervillain in right, it, like yeah. a heavy for Batman to fight and stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like in season one they took more chances because, again, because they just didn't know what the show was going to be and you could have weird mm-hmm. outside-the-box ones like this. So, yeah. yeah, everyone, that's I guess that'll just about do it for Retro Hero Video uh, for another month. Uh, thank you so much for allowing me and Matt to experiment and do fun stuff like this. I love talking about superhero animation. I could talk about it forever. 
Uh, I got a, two more episodes in mind as we uh, close out our very special episode uh, series on this show. One is a Teen Titans episode, and one is a very much demanded Static Shock episode. Ooh, I think I know what the Static Shock episode is. There's a couple we could have picked, but it's the one you think it is. (laughs) So with that, everyone, we'll bring this one to a close. Again, be sure to follow Matt and myself on Twitter and social media so you always know what we got coming. And if you have an idea for an arc you would like to see us cover in future Retro Hero Video Podcasts, please let us know because we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, then, everyone. Until then, bye-bye. Bye.